Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. This is Dale Weiss. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You listen to. And you're listening to. You're listening to. And you're listening to. You're listening to. Snow the goalie. 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 Welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, the Prognosticators Podcast, the Presidential Podcast, the Pampers Podcast, the Pedialyte Podcast, the Posthumous Podcast. Of course, we are mourning the loss of the 2019-2020 Philadelphia Flyers season before it even begins. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad on Twitter, joined as always by the fantastic Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at Ant Sanfilly. And before we get into today's show, I just want to thank the fine folks over at Cinch by Amerigas. Go on over to their site or check the uh, episode description and you'll find cinch.com. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com. If you've ever found yourself running low on propane, it's grilling season after all. What if I told you there's a way to get a brand new full tank of propane delivered to your home? Yes, that's right. Take the old spare that you have hanging out in your shed or the one that's hanging off your grill, ready to get filled. Now you don't have to lug it to the local supplier. Put it out on your front porch, on your doorstep, on your stoop, and let the fine folks at Cinch deliver and exchange that old propane tank for a brand new full one for just $10 with the promo code CROSSINGBROAD. That's with a capital C and a capital B, all one word, CROSSINGBROAD. And you can get your first tank for $10. Thanks to the fine folks at Cinch by Amerigas. Anthony. How are you? I'm wonderful, Russ. How about yourself? You know, I'm feeling uh I'm I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm not feel you know, I feel I feel kind of like my old propane tank, Anthony. I'm I'm a little bit empty. And I was hoping that Chuck Fletcher and the Philadelphia Flyers were going to be the cinch to my Flyers fandom and instead they are uh they're not going to deliver and I'm I'm a little bit sad, to be honest. Yeah, well, you should be. Um, I'll tell you that this uh, this off season has not been the kind of off season that I kind of anticipated. That I kind of you know, was hinted at me at to me that was going to happen. Um, and I guess it's still technically not over. But at this juncture, I think that you're looking at pretty much the roster, um, barring a major surprise coming up in the next you know couple weeks i this is basically the team that the flyers are going to go to battle with at the start of the season and you know is it better than last season yeah i guess is it better enough certainly not and when you look at it from that perspective um where it's not better enough uh then i think that this offseason might end up being a major disappointment because there was an, you know, the, the flyers really kind of ate up a lot of the salary cap space that they had unnecessarily for what I think are marginal upgrades. If, Cause if you really kind of, if you really kind of look at the big moves that they made, you know, Niskanen replaces Gudis, 
I think it's kind of a lateral move. And Niskanen's probably a little bit better than Gudis was. Uh, but he's older, and they swallowed some money on Gudis' salary. So that kind of washes out the, the difference, in to me at least, in, in having the slightly better player. Um, you know, Justin Braun is certainly a better player than Andrew McDonald, but didn't have a very good year. Again, the Flyers gave up a little bit too much, I think, in that trade. Um, for a guy that's really a third-pair guy that's probably going to play second-pair minutes, um, and I'm not certain that he's the right guy for the second pair. Um, and then Kevin Hayes, who I like, I think he's a good player. Is he worth $50 million for seven years? No, <laughs> he's, he's not, he's, he's, so he's a tweener. He's not, he's better than a three C, but he's not quite a two C. Um, and boy, I think they're relying on hope there that he can put up two C numbers, and I I don't see it. I just don't. I don't think he's I don't think he's that gifted offensively. Um, is he better than what they've had last year? Yes, <laughs> but that's really it. Like beyond that, like what else? I mean, that's that's about it. Pitlick. I mean, come on, that's. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the Dallas Stars were so excited to get rid of Pitlick that they didn't even tender an offer to uh, Hartman after trading for him. Like two days later, it was like, yeah, see you later. Like they, they, they gave up Pitlick for that. So that tells you what they really think of Pitlick as a player. Like, I don't know, is he going to be on the Flyers' fourth line? <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it, the, the whole thing just – I'm not sitting there sitting here saying, Russ, that they should have blown us out of the water with like chasing a big name either in free agency or via trade. I'm not saying that that needed to happen. Um, but if you were going to go the route that they went, I think there was a more affordable way to do it than what they did. And so, therefore, they've now put themselves in the spot where they're pretty much coming back with the same team from last year with a couple of, like I said, marginal upgrades while other teams in the conference got better, got stronger. And, you know, does this put the Flyers in the race for the last playoff spot? Yeah, maybe, but we've been there before. I I don't think that this is suddenly a team that's going to suddenly go, oh, wow, you know, we've now stabilized and our top players are going to be superstars and we're going to be one of the best teams in the Metropolitan Division and, you know, we're going to be in the playoffs easily and just jockeying for position. I, I don't see that. I just don't. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Flyers fans have a reason to be scratching their head right now here in mid-July um, as to, you know, what their team, why their team is what, where it is and what, where it's headed. Like, I, I don't see a plan. I just don't. This team screwed the pooch. <laughs> Call it what it is. Uh, team walked into this offseason with 30 plus million dollars in cap space. We said that that a a major free agent signing was almost a, a requirement, right? Like it was something that they were going to at least have to be in the mood to do. It was going to have to be something that they were going to be willing to do. I I jumped up and down for months about RFAs and offer sheets and Oddly enough, Montreal was the only one to uh, to put one out, although I don't really think that was a real offer. I think that was just working with an agent to try to scrounge some money out of Carolina, but that that's a whole other thing for another day. 
the way that this team has gone about this offseason is arrogant and it's desperate. And I've talked about this before about Kevin Hayes and the fact that I think not only did they overpay him by a year, but I, I think just annual cap value. I, I think he got paid probably a, about a million dollars more a year than I would have wanted him for. And I get that there weren't that many options out there that, that would have been realistic targets. But you're paying a guy $50 million over seven years. And you're pretty much paying him a million dollars for every point he put up a season ago. He's broken 50 points once. Maybe he's going to be fine. I don't know. But like I've said this before, I think that the trade for his rights and the way that you had to overextend yourself on that contract to him spoke to desperation. And how I look at the rest of the of the uh, the offseason and the, the way that they tied up money in, in Braun and Niskanen and retaining salary and Gudis and overpaying for Hayes, there's an arrogance here that I don't think is warranted. There's an arrogance right now that I, I get from this team that, oh, you know what, this, this team just needed a, a better coach. You know, Elaine Vigneault is going to be able to come in and work magic. You know, this, this team didn't come near what they should have been a year ago. And I get the Carter Hart played better, and, and we hope that he's going to be better than the hodgepodge of, of a healthier or unhealthy Brian Elliott and Michael Neuver experiment extravaganza. But to come back with what's effectively the same team, add Kevin Hayes, switch up your maybe second and third pair of defensemen at, at much higher cap hits, like, what it, what the hell are we doing? Like, what? I'm not one to like sit back and say don't play the season, but like honestly, what do people think is going to happen? I, I like I've heard so many people say that like oh this is the year that Nolan Patrick breaks out, and and most articles like that that are about the Flyers taking that next step, it's like well if Nolan Patrick plays well as a three C, which I you know I like Nolan Patrick, but I, I I've never seen the guy elevate his line mates to a point where I think he's going to go out and give you 45 to 60 points in a season. Certainly not at the 3C. And if he is able to take over the 2C, then what exactly does that say about Kevin Hayes and the way that that's worked out? I've seen that Travis Konechny's got to step up and improve his output for the team. I've seen people think that Oscar Lindblom is going to go for like 30 goals this year. I mean, look, it's entirely possible that like one of those things happens, but for you to have to bank on all three to just be more than like an eighth seed in this conference, like I don't get it. I really don't. I genuinely don't understand what they're doing. So you you called it arrogance, and I'm not 100% sure I would use the same word, um, I, but I see what you're saying. I, I don't think you're you're off, uh, too far off with it. Uh, I think that, th- that they look at it and think that, okay, so we made a run with the team that we had last year, and then it ultimately fell short because it was just unsustainable for so, such a long period of time. They dug themselves too big, deep of a hole. Um, although don't tell the St. Louis Blues that, uh, um, but uh, ultimately that's that's what happened. So I think that they look at it and say, okay, well, let's see if now we have a, a, a significant upgrade to the coaching staff. If that changes things at the beginning of the season, and then if not, then we can address what we need to address in season. Um. I don't know why I would take that approach. I think that that's kind of what they're doing. Um, you know, they really built up, when you really look at it, they really built up the Phantoms um, with a, adding a lot of players uh, with, you know, marginal NHL experience. Um, 
but I think it was more so because uh, you know they want to they want to give the younger players an opportunity to show that they can play at that level and then say okay if we need one of you guys to jump up and play in the NHL later in the season we can do that you know and 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 fix things from within and then add you know pieces to the fringe on the outside cuz we'll we'll be in the race a lot longer you know or we'll be in the race the whole time not drifting to the worst record in the league in early January so um i i really think that it's that's their approach i don't agree with it i don't think it's arrogant um i think it's misguided i think more needed to happen that to change you know the culture of certain players there's just way too many ifs with this team and a lot of it is is players that they brought in you know because they're you know i'm i'm not as i know a lot of people were anti niskanen i'm not anti niskanen i think that you know he was a key player for the washington capitals when they won the stanley cup in the summer of 2018 that said he didn't have a great 2018-19 so we're counting on a bounce back is it possible i think so but it's still something that you have to hope happens same thing with justin braun have to hope he bounces back same thing with kevin hayes have to hope he improves to be the player that you need him to be to be a number two c and to justify a seven-year 50 million dollar contract you need other players who are still on this roster to have better seasons you need a better james van reamsdyke you need a better travis konechny you need a better nolan patrick you need a better shane gostaspare you need a you need carter hart to not have a sophomore slump all of these things are are just certainly dangerous possibilities and while they all won't be they all won't come to fruition nor will they all be the complete opposite and be a disaster there'll be some that hit some that miss is that enough to then make this team a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference? And I say no, because I look at the teams that are already in the East that are really good, um, Tampa and Boston, and you see what Carolina did this year. They're, they're no slouch. And you see that the teams that got better um, or, or were pretty good already, you know, the Islanders were a decent team, the Capitals are a decent team, the, the Rangers uh, just the Rangers the Rangers got better the Devils got better like there's a lot in the East that suddenly Florida got better that that's all suddenly- these teams got better like I, I we're we're like we're tiptoeing around this the rest of the conference got better and the Flyers decided that instead of going out and making impact moves and making good moves around the fringes and going and splashing capital that they had available on hand, they decided that everybody else in the league was wrong and that the fan base was wrong and that people who analyzed the team and watched the team and broke down film on the team, everybody's wrong. This team is 20 wins or 20 points or 25 points better than what they put out last season. And you're, and you're tying a whole hell of a lot of stuff to your young players taking that next step. And, they and might- it to all... And it to all go right in the same time it's not going to happen i don't understand like we talked at the end of the season about like the need to support young players with good veterans i i don't see that like i I see that on the defensive side like i think that braun and niskanen could do a could do a solid enough job as we continue to look for that next level of progression for like the Travis Sanheims, the Andrew Myers, and to some extent, like the, the Ivan Provrovs, hopefully like able, being able to kind of level him off. So he's not as much of a roller coaster as he was last season. And by the way, he's still not signed, but like 
when you look at your your top three lines, what exactly has this team done to get better other than overpay Kevin Hayes? This is the problem that I'm running into. Like, are they not only so high that like Lindblom, Konechny are, are going to improve that? Like, is is there a thought here that Morgan Frost or Isaac Ratcliffe are ready to go and, and take like the the third line right wing position that they're going to seize the day? Like, I, I don't I don't get it. I genuinely don't. And I feel like they screwed this up. And I and and like I get that you're saying it was misguided. I genuinely think it's arrogance in that like there is a smart way to go about this offseason. And I think that they like really effed it up. The only thing that I can say that Chuck Fletcher did well this offseason is I think they had a good draft. I think they they worked the the margins well. They got good value, especially like mid rounds in the draft. I think that's like the one thing they did well. But this whole free agency debacle, this RFA debacle, to me, like, this is one of the most disappointing offseasons for any Philadelphia sports team, and especially for a franchise that saw massive apathy set in with this fan base. You needed to go out and do something to sell tickets. You needed to do something to get back your, your passionate fan, get your casual fan who fell away from this team because of how poor they were, and to even try to go and get a little bit, just a tiny share of that 4 for 4 fan. Of getting people back in on this team to at least care. And they didn't do it. And like, sure, if they start winning, if, if next season they start off on a tear. And they're like 10-2-3 to start the season. Sure, people are going to be interested. They're going to be excited. But you, you've, you've blown it. Like, to me, you've blown any opportunity that you had to get a real jump on what this season coming up is and to kind of wash off that that stink of last season. Well, that's some uh, fire there, Russ. <laughs> Look, I get it. I, and I get that you're you're agitated and I don't think that you're completely wrong. I, 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 I'm on board with you that they are they missed an opportunity here. Um, and that's just my analysis of it. Uh, that said, I'm not ready to, to, you know, blow up the season because they might be right. We could be wrong and they might be right. Um, so we got to wait and see. I still don't, <laughs> I still don't think that the end result is going to end up being different than what we're saying right now. I, I just, I don't want to be full of piss and vinegar until November, um, I think it's a little early to, to be that way because again, they, you know, anything can happen. And there's a lot of things that we don't, you know, know about that. You know, maybe there is that young player who's ready to go, who's going to come in and, and set the world on fire. And we're like, oh, geez, we didn't even think of that. Um, and they and they know about it, you know, because they know their own prospects better than we do. Who knows? I I, I don't see it. Um, if you're asking me today to, you know, where are the Flyers rank in their division? I probably have them sixth. <laughs> maybe even further down, like sixth might be optimistic. Um, but I, I, I'm not ready to, to you know, go hellfire and brimstone against, against the team until I actually see what it looks like and see how they're playing. Maybe they, maybe they believe in, in uh, Elaine Vigneault. Maybe they buy into this. Who knows? I mean, you've seen it happen, you know, where teams are not the best teams, um, on paper and yet somehow find a way to win 
you know, because they've they've bought in, you know, to to the the process that they're doing. Maybe that's here, and it happens in hockey more than any other sport. Maybe that's what maybe that's why media, mediocre teams win sometimes. I mean, you know, what the St. Louis Blues did this year was pretty freaking amazing, um, and isn't going to happen very regularly. But they were the worst team in hockey, bought into what the interim coach was selling and rallied around it and believed in themselves. And there's no doubt they were not the best team um, on paper coming into the playoffs or even in the playoffs or even into the, you know, in each round. I thought that they were not the best team on paper, but they played the best team game. And it got them a Stanley Cup championship. So not to say that this Flyers team is going to be the St. Louis Blues next year, but they can certainly uh, exceed expectations if, in fact, they do buy into the coach a little bit and and play above brand. Um, but even that, I don't know if that's enough to excite you. Like, is that enough? Like, if the, if the I'll say this to you right now, Russ. If the Flyers come out next season and get off to a good start and we're looking, you know, we're going to, you know, flip the calendar to 2020 and it's January and we're recording an episode of Snow the Goalie and we're talking about who the Flyers could add at the trade deadline that, you know, could uh, help them in the playoffs. Are you still as pissed off about this offseason? I, I don't know. I, but I don't, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but how would you how would you react if that was the case? I don't know. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, it, that's my point. Like you don't, you're saying I don't know, and I'm going to cut you off right there, because even if that's the case, you know that you and I are not going to believe that this is a team that can make a run to the Stanley Cup. Like we don't think that that's there. We don't think that that element is exists in the players that are on this roster. And so without and that, and by the way, that's like part of the problem with. The, I understand why you brought up St. Louis like you did, but that that is such an anomaly. Right for for things to break the way they did for there being the worst yeah. team in right. hockey with an interim coach, you know, and and like that's the kind of thing that drives me. Up. This is like in 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 any sport when somebody like points to an anomaly. Oh well, you know, Tom Brady was drafted one hundred ninety nine overall, so you never know. You know, you you've got to take a risk at that pick because Tom Brady came from there, so it, it has to work out. No, 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 you're pointing out an anomaly. You know, in the NBA, you talk about a second round draft pick and people lose their minds. It's like, oh, well, you know, this player, this player, this player, they're all taking the second round. It doesn't matter. You're talking about a few guys. The vast majority never make an impact in the league. I get so sick and tired of, of like, people pursuing these, these, like, narratives in their mind to, like, try to rationalize when a team doesn't do something that they probably should have done. And they, they kind of, like, pass it off as, well... You, you can't you can't necessarily say that the Flyers don't have a chance because who would have given Columbus a chance against Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay was an obviously much more talented team. They were a more gifted team. They were an overall better team than Columbus was going into the postseason. But, oh, look how things broke for them. I would rather be the Tampa Bay than the Columbus because 9 out of 10 times, Columbus, or Columbus loses that series, right? And I, I just, I feel like this, God... The flat, they had a chance to become a top three team in the conference. They had a chance to supplement some of the, the veteran leaders that we're used to seeing on this team and, and, and use them as a, as a means to try to help the young talent develop and to take that next step. And to me, they screwed it up 
And it's not just like losing out on being a potential contender. It's that I feel like in some way they're going to rationalize this as anything can happen in hockey. I would rather go in with the 70% chance of you being a top four team than being like the 10% chance that you advance out of the first round in the postseason as a seven seed. You know, call me crazy. You're, you're not crazy. You're not. It's what, it's what I'm saying. But I, I don't necessarily think that we need to be as passionately pissed off at this point. That's all. I just think that it, we, we owe a new coach an opportunity to show us. If Elaine Vigneault thinks he can win with this team, let's see it. I don't think we give him a long – I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, let's give him a season so they can learn the system. And No, no. Come out first beginning of the season, hit the ground running, and show us. Because I'll tell you what, if this team gets off to another mediocre to bad start, then there's a major problem with this organization. Major problem. Elaine Vigneault is a wonderful coach, and I think he's going to be able to coach these guys up. But the man is not a miracle worker, right? And if now, if somehow this team hits the all-star break and they're a top three team in the conference, save this tape and throw it in my face. Because then Elaine Vigneault has done something that nobody thought could be done. He will have somehow put together a team and a system that has allowed all these young guys to take that next step. And if it works out, I will be over the moon. I don't question the coach. I question everything that he's been given. Tell me, like as a Flyers fan out there, tell me what exactly the front office has done to make you feel better about the way that Elaine Vigneault is going to have to approach coaching this team. What has Chuck Fletcher done to actually make this team markedly better? Again, other than overpaying for Kevin Hayes. He hasn't. So I don't, and, 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 and like, then I almost feel bad for Vigneault in a sense where it's like, I think he's going to do a good job. But like, if this team ends up being a seven seed, you know, people are going to do what they do. They're going to say, this is an indictment on the coach. It was a bad hire. I don't necessarily think it was. I just don't know how you're supposed to turn, you know, I, I don't even know. I don't even have a good analogy. I'm too pissed off for it. All right, I was in a really good mood, and then let, this let's, happened. Let's save your save your venom for the next episode because our episodes are going to start getting interesting as we're going to uh, be joining up with some other friends uh, for some episodes this summer. Um, so stay tuned for information on that. We're going to be bringing in some guests uh, from the Philadelphia hockey world. Um, I know that's the thing that you've been teasing everybody about uh, all, all week. Um, so we have some, some guests coming up for future episodes, uh, here in July and August, um, prior to the start of training camp in September. Um, so we look forward to getting together with the, with those, uh, hockey people and, and having some fun talking we'll about promote the, the crap out of it. We, we will. will promote the crap out of it on Twitter. But in the, in the interim, um, what we're, we, what we want you to check out is what's coming up next on this episode uh, is something that Russ and I recorded a month ago um, and it's actually really cool um, I actually tweeted out about it earlier uh, on uh, on Monday the 8th um, we partnered up with um, Let's Go Blues Radio in St. Louis um, and did a, a podcast with them um, because why well, I say well why the Blues and not any other team well it was actually their uh, idea Jeff Ponder um, who uh, does uh, is the host of their show had an idea to uh, team up with a podcast in each city in the NHL 
um, and record an episode with everybody and then put them out as their summer programming. Um, so that's what they did. And, uh, of course, they picked Russ and I uh, to represent the Philadelphia uh, Flyers community. Um, and we did. Apparently, they, apparently he Googled the only Flyers podcast and we came up. <laughs> And uh, so anyway, so it was pretty cool, um, and we thought it was a, a really good episode. As a matter of fact, they thought it was such a good episode. Originally, they had us scheduled to go you know, sometime in late August or mid-August um, because, I mean, heck, there's no real rivalry between the Blues and the Flyers. Um, but then after our, uh, our interview, it was like, you know, that was so good, they moved us up towards the beginning of the – uh, of the of the group so um ours debuted on their podcast on monday the 8th and as such now we are adding the the uh, audio from our interview uh on that show um that will be now here where we talk a lot about a lot about connections between the flyers and the blues uh over the course of uh, their both teams history in the nhl so I think without further ado, Russ, because it's long, it's a, it's about an hour and a half or hour and 20 minutes at least, and we've already recorded for 25, 26 minutes here. Um, so people don't, you know, they're going to have a, a two-hour episode to listen to. Um, I think we should just, just jump right into it and get to it and uh, then let everybody know what we're doing uh, on social media uh, with our next episode. Sounds good, Anthony. All right, without further ado, here is our crossover episode with Let's Go Blues Radio. And we are talking Philadelphia Flyers today. I'm joined by Russ and Anthony from the Snow the Goalie podcast and CrossingBroad.com, which is Philadelphia's most irreverent sports blog. We'll get to them here in a minute, but uh, first I wanted to read off some of the important stats that go along with the Blues versus the Philadelphia Flyers in their long history. The Blues' uh, all-time record against the Flyers, 152 games played, 47 wins, 85 losses, 17 uh, ties and four overtime losses. Uh, so, yeah, Blues uh, not looking good on that all-time record. I'm guessing it's mostly because of those 70s uh, battles when uh, the Flyers were on top of the world and Blues were struggling to make the playoffs, but we'll get to this in a little bit. Uh, first meeting between these teams, October 18th, 1967. Uh, this was uh, in Philadelphia, and it was a 2-1 loss for the Blues. Uh, another important note between the Blues and Flyers, the Blues had their first, actually, I guess this is the Flyers' first playoff game and first playoff series as well, uh, was in 1968. Uh, actually, April 4th was the date. The Blues won that one in the game, won nothing, and also won the series, obviously on their way to losing in the Stanley Cup final to the Montreal Canadiens. Another important note to get to, uh, which I doubt my guests remember because I doubt they were born at this time. Uh, Red Berenson's six-goal game came against the Philadelphia Flyers. So that's a important note in Blues history, November 7th, 1968, in Philadelphia, and that was a 8 nothing Blues drubbing of the Flyers. I know, again, we all remember that one so well, but uh, again, that's, a, that's an important note in Blues history, six-goal game, one of the many players that uh, has reached that feat. Uh, so again, Russ and Anthony from the Snow the Goalie podcast and CrossingBroad.com. Thank you, fellas, for joining me today. Thanks hey, for you're welcome, us. Jeff. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and I, by the way, I wasn't even alive when that Red Barons in the six goal game. 
I sure? figured that. You sure you didn't cover that? You paused. I, yeah, I know. A lot of people <laughs> think I was alive. No, I was not alive for that. I was uh, still you were not. Years you were away. not writing for uh, for online <laughs> content at that point. <laughs> no, hey, no. How many, uh, how many years away were you from uh, being born? Uh, that happened in 72? 68. 68. 60, 68. Uh, f- uh, six. I was six, still six years wow. before I... Uh, arrived on the mortal coil took me 22 more years to uh to grace the earth with my god i'm i'm terrible with math let me see uh carry the one i would have been 20 good lord i'm so bad with math i was born in 85 so let's put it like that i was born in 90 well there you go we you know jeff we had a thing at the press box this year um where we were trying to figure out who the youngest person was in the press box at the Flyers game. And Russ was the only person in the press box born in the 1990s. Wow. It was, it was sad. Setting records. It was, it was sad. Yeah, that's, hey, good for you, but sad for everyone else. Yeah, it yep. was. I remember when I first started as a beat writer, uh, I was the youngest beat writer uh, at the time. And it was great. Like I was like you know, the new guy. And now I'm like an old man up there. It's ridiculous. So <laughs> I don't know where the, the time beat writer. So uh, let's see. You were probably what? Uh, what? Ten years old? Twelve years old? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I started covering the team, and uh, well, officially. I mean, I started covering them in '99, 2000. But uh, the, as an official beat writer in uh, 2004. So at the time, I was 27. Yeah, uh, that's pretty so, good. That's good. Yeah. Ninety nine two thousand. So wait, does that mean that you saw the longest playoff game in history? I was not present for that. Uh, I was oh. at, in ninety nine two thousand. Uh, I was only covering home games, and that game took place in, in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, right? Uh, the great story about that is that there was a beat writer for a newspaper in Wilmington, Delaware, who was covering the game in Pittsburgh, and he uh, was so he his deadline had passed because it, the game went ran so long. And he decided uh, the heck with it because the deadline had passed. He was driving home and he drove all the way home to Wilmington, Delaware, and made it home before the game ended. He then promptly got fired because his bosses said, what do you mean you left early? You still have to cover the game. So he promptly lost his job uh, after that. But that's a that was a, a classic, classic game. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have not times. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Russ, uh, you're a young man. Do you remember that game? Um, a little bit. Yeah. 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 Just a little bit. Um, I remember waking up a few times trying to, uh, trying to keep up with it and, uh, falling back asleep because I was, uh, how old Anthony? Uh, that was 2000. So you were 10, 10. There you go. Yeah. Life was hard. Life was hard then. I, uh, I actually tell, I've told the story a couple times on this show from that game because, um, it, we we always joke whenever it goes two overtimes. We're like, all right, this is going to beat the Philadelphia Pittsburgh game. And uh, yeah, I, I was a kid. I fell asleep in the first overtime, uh, so I was fifteen, and uh, woke back up in the third overtime, and was just like, "This game's still on. Is this a replay?" And it took <laughs> me a while to realize, like, "Holy cow, this is still the same game." So I missed a little bit of it, but I was able to stay up for what three two more overtimes yeah it was a it was a pretty pretty memorable uh my daughter was actually born two days after that uh, i was at the the next game i had a skip uh covering the next game because uh my daughter was was born and i remember my daughter the game started in philadelphia that day 
at uh, 1 p.m. and my daughter was, I'm sorry, 2 p.m. and my daughter was born at 1.58. And uh, so my daughter arrives, you know, I hold her, we take the quick picture and I looked at the nurse. I said, can you put the TV on? <laughs> <laughs> there's a playoff game coming on i gotta watch it <laughs> oh man I, I thought you were gonna say she was born at 158 so you uh you you rushed out at 159 and still made it but to the game on time no i didn't go to the game i didn't cover the game i would have been that would have been really impressive but i got the nurse to put the game on a tv the uh the worst story that i have about when uh my my wife gave birth we were uh it was our son was three and a half weeks early and um so she's she's laying there, and we're told, yeah, the baby's coming. We're gonna go ahead and uh, you know go along with uh, uh, getting the pregnancy going. And I looked right at my wife in the eye, and I go, "So I got a hockey game in like three hours. Should I should I call and tell them I'm gonna miss it?" And she just gave me the dirtiest death stare, and I'm like, "Yeah, I think I got the answer. I'm good. I'm good." <laughs> I tell it to people, the game, and they're right? like, "You went to the game? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I was. Okay. Oh honey, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom. I'll be right back." Oh man, yeah, that was uh, that was that was one of the worst death stares I've ever gotten from her. And people, I tell that story to people, and they're like, "You actually asked?" And I'm like, "It was one of those things where I was sleep deprived and I was asking, but I wasn't really asking." But in her eyes, I was asking. So, so she was, got up uh, and walked it off, right? Because oh uh, yeah, because it's hockey, you know. Oh, that's right, that's right, honey. You just uh, you just wait right there. You know, you're gonna be drugged out anyway. You, it'll be like I'm here. I'll just put up a a blow up of myself, put a picture on it. <laughs> You know, hold it, hand. You'll be fine, honey. Ian Lapierre <laughs> took a puck to the face in the playoffs in a game that the Flyers were beating the Devils. You can at least get up after you know bringing a child into this world. Exactly. You yeah, yeah, you can just be tough like Lapierre. Come on, that's enough. That's a player I didn't uh, put in our outline. By that's the way, right. Uh, by Ian the way, Lapierre played for both. Both. both probably teams. do a uh, just as good of a job coaching the penalty kill as he's done for the last three years. But um, yeah. Anyway, there you go. I like that. Well, look, guys, let's let's go ahead and I mean, we're already kind of into it, but let's get really into it. The first thing that uh, I want to talk about, and this is again a, a moment in Blues history that uh, even people who were not around at this time, including myself, uh, do remember. That is the big brawl in Philadelphia between the uh, Blues and Flyers. This was on January sixth, nineteen seventy two, and if you look this up on YouTube, there is video of it. There's actually a couple. There's a couple articles you can look up too. I think the one I sent you guys was from, uh, uh, I want to say it was from St. Louis Post-Dispatch, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, but either way, uh, let me ask you guys, before we kind of get into the story of what happened here, is this something that Flyers fans, it's kind of in their lore as well, or is this just something that crazy, fight-loving Blues fans seem to remember? <laughs> well, I, I, been, I'll take this one, Russ, because I know that it's it's more, uh, more my time period. But... Um, uh, it's not as talked about as much now as it was many years ago, uh, Jeff, but I will say this. The reason that the Broad Street Bullies ever existed was the St. Louis Blues. Right. And, um, you know, Ed Snyder was tired of the uh, the Plager brothers going around and beating up on uh, on the Flyers players. Um, and I think Picard also was another guy that uh, kept beating up on the Flyers, and he got so sick of it that he said, "I'm going to put a team together that will never get, you know, have that happen to them again." And so, you know, the Flyers Blues rivalry back then was legit. I mean, they were the two best teams in that expansion division. I mean, imagine that. Imagine doing that today, where the league expands by six teams and they put all six expansion teams in the same division. 
Right. Um, and so the Blues and the Flyers were the two teams that uh, were the best of those expansion teams, and they hated each other. And so any time that they could get together, once the Flyers became, you know, more physical team, uh, any time they got together, it was a bloodbath. And so that one ends up in the stands and it's, it's just crazy to think. I mean, you know, if you were, if you fast forward, you know, 20 years, when was Malice in the Palace? Was that 2003? So 30 years? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you fast forward to that and, and, oh, oh my God, everybody's in shock. What a horrible thing. The athletes went into the crowd and fought with the fans. And yet you look back at the Blues Flyers situation that took place and everybody looks back at it on it fondly. Like that's a fun story. It, it's amazing the difference in, in mentality between hockey and the rest of society. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because, you know, obviously this, this wasn't the Blues or Flyers, but Mike Milbury beating a man with his own shoe. We look at that <laughs> exactly. now and we laugh and we're like, yeah. "Oh my god, hockey is so crazy." Oh, those that are happened the today. Yep. Oof, it's it's crazy. So anyway, so the story behind this one for those that don't know, uh at least this is told in the St. Louis media, maybe it's different in Philly, but there was a beer dumped on the head of Blues coach Al Arbor by a Mad Flyers fan, uh Bob Plager, who uh, was mentioned here by uh, Anthony. Bob Plager heads into the stands, fought Flyers fans and Blues player John Arbor, who was not uh, in any relation to Al Arbor, was hit and needed 40 stitches. Al Arbor, John Arbor, Floyd Thompson, and Phil Roboito, as I call him, were handcuffed and carted off to jail, all arraigned on assault charges. Um, so obviously this was a big deal. And uh, like I said, I, I think maybe why it's remembered so well in St. Louis is because Bob Plager is still a an active member of the organization. He's at every game. He's always out uh, with with uh, fans, and and you always see him getting pictures with with uh, fans all the time. Even Cardinals games, Blues games, he's always here. So I think, you know, when when you hear him tell stories of the old days, this is one that I think he brings up probably more than others. And um, you know, you mentioned Ed Snyder, and obviously he was uh, a prominent member of the organization in, in Philly for so long. Um, is there anyone else in 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 Flyers lore? that was there then that that's still around the organization that might be telling stories like this. Oh my, yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. The Flyers the Flyers of Natur are notorious for bringing uh bringing back their own in into some capacity. So, uh Bob the Hound Kelly, um who I think uh arrived in Philly in 1970, um he uh, he's like an ambassador for the team. Um he goes around and does some fan stuff every every game and you know takes pictures and all that stuff just much in the same way that Bob Plager does and uh he is uh when I worked for the team our desks were right next to each other we had two cubes that were connected and Hound told more stories from that that era and he said the the most memorable thing that he said about that game uh was once the Blues players went up into the stands like the it, it was almost as if the the roles reversed like the flyers players who were all they were all angry and frustrated and mad and they started watching and the fans were the ones that were fighting and the players were rooting the fans on um, from the ice which was kind of funny he said yeah he said you know, we just stopped we, we just stopped worrying about it and just watched uh so yeah so he was he was there for that game and uh, that was a great story that that he used to tell um I'm just trying to think. I guess Joe Watson was was still there. Russ, right? He's still around. Uh, Jimmy Watson, although he doesn't, he's not down with the Flyers all the time, but he he lives in uh, in my neighborhood, and 
Um, he still tells stories from that era. So uh, weird flex, but okay. Um, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around something really quick. So this is like a this is a thing that St. Louis is proud of. Isn't it weird? It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Like a bunch a bunch of of tough tough hockey players went up into the stands and got busted open and got arrested. That doesn't sound like a winning story to me. I mean, I would imagine that if you talk to somebody right after this happened, it was probably, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. This is, you know, why would our players do this? But you know, I think now with it being so far away, and like I said, Bob Plager is the most prominent member of, of the Blues organization. Everybody knows who he is here in St. Louis, and he's always telling these these stories to fans. I mean, this one comes up and among many, many others, and I think people just hear him tell it, and it's, oh, what a great story. What a, what a great moment in Blues history, but when you really look at what happened, it's actually probably more embarrassing than anything else. We get killed for throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. I don't remember. I don't remember there being like a Wednesday night rivalry game where Doc Emmerich comes in and and he says, "Oh, and don't forget about the time that Al Arbor went up into the stands and he just absolutely unloaded down to Pierre." Oh yeah, Doc. Sidney Crosby was there. Love Sidney Crosby. Back to you. All right. Well, scores. Russ, Russ had to get his impression. Never. Like, I, I don't ever Jeff, remember this, is this thing. being a thing to lead NBC, right? Like, it, is this like, like why? Why would anybody want to bring this up? I don't get it. I don't. It's um, great. It's a great story, Russ. It's it lovely. But okay, so to answer your question from from way long ago, um, is this something that Philadelphia Flyers fans think of or or hold in lore? Um, speaking, I guess on behalf of the younger contingent, I would say no. Um, mm. The the fight that I think of is Flyer Senators that broke. All right, with uh, Ray Emery, right? Well, that, was, that, was, uh, that was that was uh, yeah, it was with Ray Emery. Yeah. It was that that was one of my favorite games I ever covered. Hmm. Ever there was a, there were fights with the within the media down in the locker room after the game. Bobby Clark went after uh, uh, John Muckler, or uh, not John, uh, Jacques Martin, who was the coach of the uh, Senators at the time, uh, in the hallway, called him a gutless puke. Uh, it was oh, it was great. It was so good. It was so good. So like that's you, what I think of. Yeah, I, I that was this blues thing. I that think was this awesome. Is, uh, I mean, it's interesting, but um, I don't know. I would say that's probably the word used in St. Louis is that it's interesting. It's maybe not. Harold, it is a great moment, but it's something that all Blues fans have heard the stories. They know what happened, and it's just uh, kind of a funny footnote in uh, in Blues history because you don't hear that often. Like I said, we, in St. Louis, we hear about this one, and then we hear about the Mike Milbury incident, and that's about it, which that's a good one, too. Um, let me, okay, let me ask you, since you brought up your your excellent impersonations there, uh, Russ, uh, let me ask. Don't egg, don't egg him on, Jeff. Don't I gotta ask on. you one one question about Mike Emmerich. What's the best uh, adjective he uses? <laughs> catawampus. Yeah, you know what? Catawampus bothers me. Like I've heard catawampus, kitty wampus, catty corner, kitty corner. Why can't everybody just agree? It's like it's a diagonal, right? Like I don't get it. I don't get mm. it. Uh, hey, I, I don't know. I think Emmerich's okay. got so many good ones. It's uh, it'd be unfair to him to uh, to paint him into a corner. It's knifed Jeff. into the corner. Yeah, that is that is exactly <laughs> what he said. Knifed into the corner. He does say that. I, I hate to have a, a quick little uh, um, sidebar here, Jeff. But you know, when Russ and I do the show, we don't we don't get to see each other. Uh, you know, we just talk through a uh, another 
um, podcasting system. So we we hear each other. We don't get to see each other like we are here on, on the Google Hangout. And this is the first. So this is the first time I'm actually getting to see Russ. And with that mic screen that he has, he looks like Wilson W. Wilson from Home Improvement. Like I I cannot see his face behind that thing. Like I, I'm like fascinated by it. I'm losing. I, I can't even focus on the conversation because all I see is his nose and his eyes, and I can't see anything else. It's Russ, just driving you me crazy. Him, it's, you, it's need a, to, you need to give him some sage advice right now. It's a level of mystery. <laughs> You know? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I I digress. I didn't mean to go off on that. It was just. It was such a distraction. I just had to point it out now, so that everybody can pay. That's good, Pod Anthony. Saying. Thanks for that contribution. That's exactly yeah. what St. Louis Blues fans wanted to learn about <laughs> the Blues and and Flyers rivalry. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what uh, what I brought you guys on the show for is to talk about home improvement. So did you guys see the episode with Jill's dad? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Um, Jill, was that her name in I that was, show? Yeah, the it, was mom? it was her fault yeah. too. It was her fault that the show went off the air. If you remember, was it she really? Went, yeah, she wanted to walk away from the show. And they didn't want to like, kill off that. her character. Yeah, she want. Yeah, she wanted more. Didn't she want more money? I think it was that, and then it didn't yeah. happen. And so she went yeah. off the show. They want to write her off, so they were like, "All right." Huh. You know, it's just it's kind of sad. Whatever happened well, to this... that? Uh, whatever happened to that Tim Allen guy? Never made much of his career, did he? No, mm. nothing at all. He needed nothing that at show. All. Whatever happened to uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, JTT? Oh, here we go. She was like the number know. one That's child good... actor, and and dude fell he off kind the of, face of the earth, you know? Yeah, he's kind of gone. He's he left the spotlight. Uh, Zachary Ty Bryan was in one of the Fast and the Furious. And that's really the last time I saw him too. Child oh. actors don't usually last, boys. Right? Don't, don't no. you know? Not many of them carry on into adulthood. It's kind of like Braden Shen. It's like he had a really good time. There was like that one good year, and then he went away, and we forgot about him. He's Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I think St. Louis fans, though, they probably like him a little bit more. I was going to say, I think we really enjoy Braden Shen uh, with what he's brought this team. So so I think we remember him a little differently. Oh, we he was a good player. He's I mean, he was, he, yeah, he was a good player. I mean, you know, he was a good guy. I mean, I like talking to him. I mean, uh, so, whole family. I even like to talk to his brother, Luke, who was a terrible player. Uh, um, <laughs> but hey, he was great value for James Van Riemsdyk. All right. Oh, that was, oh yeah. Flyers so, got the better end of that deal. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, no, I, I like Braden. I, I do. I'm, I'm rooting for him and I'm rooting for chief. I, it's funny because, you know, usually you don't really, once your team's out, you don't really care what happens the rest of the way. But I, you know, I'm sick and tired of Boston winning stuff and, and, uh, have such a great relationship with Chief, and um, he's just a, an awesome guy. So I'm rooting for your I'm rooting for your boys, Jeff. Uh, yeah, to take so it home here. as I've done, um, yeah, as I've done with with every one of these episodes, I'll go ahead and timestamp this. This is uh, we're recording this on June 4th. This is uh, the night after the Blues had just won Game Four, so I'm not sure when this is going to air, but the series is at two two. So um, when he says he's rooting for them, that's because the Stanley Cup final in our time, in uh, in our past, I guess, is uh, is going on at the moment. So hopefully yeah. the Blues. Brand have, Stark uh, actually just warged back here and saw this, <laughs> and he's not going to tell anyone what happens. He Game can see it. He could he could change the past, but he won't do it. Just wants to it's do fun- the It's funny because Scott Bakula is from St. Louis, and he was at the game last night. So I instantly, when I started saying that, started thinking about Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap, uh, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Is it just me or does Scott Bakula look like the human personification of Alf? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> That's There's a lot of up. great references on this show. I'm loving this. Is, this. this is what we do. <laughs> this is all we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I do want to talk to you guys about let's go ahead and get into this because we're talking about the Stanley Cup final here. 
Um, I'm not sure what exact area you guys are in in Philadelphia, but um, obviously in St. Louis, uh, there's a landmark there now for us, the Jack's New Year's Brigade, Brigade Clubhouse, which is where the whole Gloria thing began. Uh, yep. Have you guys ever been there? And how close do you live to uh, Jack's New Year's Brigade? Well, um, Russ Russ lives out in the sticks. I mean, he lives so wow. far away from the city. He's wow. not even from, he's not even from Philly. I mean, he's wow. from where like what Schuylkill County, somewhere like northeastern Pennsylvania, somewhere. Yeah, like that, near, that's that's it, Anthony. Yeah, good county yeah. knowledge out of you. This is yeah, whatever. This is good. Yeah, but um, no, I grew up in the city, Jeff. Uh, I live out in the burbs now, um, but I'm not that far. I mean, if I had to say how far of a ride is it from my house to Jack's is probably 20, 25 minutes. Um, that's right down. It's not too far from the uh, stadium area. Um, and so let, let me ask you this. Do, do you guys know about the Mummers Parade? Do you know what the Mummers Parade is in St. Louis? I'm sure there is some, but I do not. So please so educate you know. me. Okay. So Jack's, so, the, so what Jack's is, uh, every year on New Year's Day in Philadelphia, there's this tradition where there is a parade um, that includes judging of various um, groups. Uh, some of them are comics. Uh, when I say comics, they dress up as um, clowns wearing uh, women's dresses. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they march through the street, um, doing all different kinds of like weird dances and themed things. And then there's like string bands and they have like a little show that they do. And then there's, uh, fancy brigades and guys wearing feathers, like big feathered, um, uh, like what would you call them, Russ? I guess they're, they, there's these big circular plumes on their backs on their shoulders it's just kind of a weird thing it's totally philadelphia well and- i'm gonna t- i'm gonna give people a, a a thing they might remember from 2016 uh the mummers parade is where there was the the group that came out and they did the mocking of uh of caitlin jenner where they had the oh. wheaties box of yeah, Bruce yeah, yeah. jenner and then the fruit loops box with uh with caitlin jenner's picture on it and those people uh, they made it to national news and then they had to go to sensitivity training so that right. that's the Mummers Parade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I know what so, that is. So Jack's Jack's Brigade, they're uh, one of the comics, and traditionally the comics they go first because these people have been up all night uh, celebrating the New Year. And let's say that they, you know, they probably are still throwing back a few beverages um, from the night before while they're marching in the parade at nine a.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they had won. The, they won their their division, their comic division. They were named the best comic division this year. So they had a big party at Jack's Brigade, and the party was still going on several days later, and it led into the Eagles-Bears playoff game, which was a uh, famous playoff game because of the double doink, right? The missed field goal by the Bears that hit the, the both the, uh, the upright and the crossbar, and the right. Eagles advanced with the upset win of the Bears. Um, well, that's the night that it's taking place there. And lo and behold, I guess um, the blue, a few of the Blues players ended up in Jack's Bar there in South Philly um, prior the night prior to the game. Um, and they kept playing Gloria <laughs> in, in between every, uh, when every time there was a TV commercial. Rather than play the commercials in the bar so that everybody had to listen to this annoying commercials, they would turn on music. And for whatever reason, Gloria just kept playing repeatedly. And I guess that's, that's where the legend began because Jordan Bennington makes his debut the next night at a game. We were at Russ. Uh, yes, we were. 
it was boring as hell. Uh, <laughs> Blues won three to nothing, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, Bennington makes his NHL debut with a shutout, and uh, the two worst teams in hockey, one went one way and the other, well, they both actually were playing well for a while, but the Flyers kind of fell off the table while the Blues just kept on going from there. Yeah, that's uh, man. Yeah, that's a story told here now. It's like it's lore. I mean, just like the uh, the Flyers Blues brawl in 1972. I mean, everyone kind of knows the story now, knowing about the bar itself and and why there was a party going on like that. Uh, that's that's kind of a cool little little nugget for Blues fans who didn't know that. Um, so, what, I mean, let me ask you guys then. I mean, again, I, I don't know outside of South Philly, outside of uh, Jack's New Year's Brigade what it's like for Flyers fans. Are they all, uh, is it like a Philadelphia has kind of adopted the blues or is it more like what you guys are saying? Nobody wants to see Boston win. I'd like to romanticize this for you and tell you that we've adopted St. Louis as our team, but you don't want our bad luck. You don't want our city's bad fortune. You don't want this black cloud looming over your team. We already have that. Really, it's just for the love of God, be Boston. I mean, until the Boston Celtics imploded on themselves, vomited on themselves, got diarrhea on themselves, and watched their team implode by a point guard who believes the earth is flat, um, there was a chance that Boston had the ability to go out and win all four major championships. Now, if you're a soccer fan like me, you could also point to the fact that they have one horrible team. They have to sacrifice one team, the Revs, which they may as well just shoot into the sun. Other than that, uh, they were they were very well very much poised and a favorite in some ways to uh, to advance to the the finals or to the championship in each sport. So, um, you know, seeing Boston in another championship and seeing the billboard that went up that said like it's been 141 days since we last won a title. I mean, I, I know that we don't get to know how this plays out, and in my heart of hearts, I want St. Louis to win, and hopefully by the time this airs, St. Louis will have won. But if they didn't, I will hate St. Louis forever. Um, because I cannot watch Boston win another title. I, I despise. I've never been to the city of Boston. I hear it's nice. I know the, the people aren't that great. I know their teams are horrible. And I know their fans are borderline racist and terrible. But aside from that, I'm, I'm sure Boston's a really lovely place to be. I'm just not a big fan. And I'm not a fan of the winning. And I'm not a fan of the arrogance. You know, you win a title, that's great. I think Boston's had enough winning. I think we can we can start to spread the spread the love around a little bit. I agree. I agree. I'd, I'd like to see, uh, you know, it's funny because people talk about outside of Philadelphia, how bad Philly fans are, but I'm like, they don't even hold a candle for me to Boston Bruins and, and Boston Red Sox fans. Those people are more annoying than anyone in sports. No, you're absolutely right. I, I will, as someone who's traveled the country and been to every major professional sports city in this in this country i would i would agree that the worst fans in america are boston fans mm. by it's not and it's not even a there's not even a close second and and i'm not a and i'm not somebody who always defends the philadelphia fan uh, i know that there's a real uh you know inferiority complex here amongst fans when when uh, we get criticized and i i think that philadelphia fans deserve a lot of the criticism that they get. Um, but the fact, of the fact of the matter is, is they, they aren't even close to as, as bad as fans in Boston are. Um, but I'm rooting for St. Louis, Jeff, for a whole different reason. I, you know, I mean, yeah, it's you know, great. We have some connections with, with the city of Philadelphia and St. Louis, you know, with this team, but I have a personal relationship with Craig Berube. He's, he's one of the guys who kind of helped indoctrinate me into, uh, the world of the NHL. Um, uh, the very first year that I was on the beat 
uh, as a, an official beat writer. Like I said, I was doing some part-time stuff before it, but uh, was 2004, 2005. Well, if you recall, that was the lockout, right? So there was no NHL season that year. Um, so what ended up happening was is the newspaper that I worked for at the time um, said, well, just go cover the Phantoms, who were the American Hockey League team. They played okay. in Philadelphia at the time. Uh, they're right. now in Lehigh Valley. They moved. To, they were in Glens Falls, New York for a few years. Went to, Now they're now in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, but they were in Philadelphia at the time. And so I went there, and they made me travel, which no one had ever done in the HL. No writer had ever traveled for an entire year in the American Hockey League. And here I am traveling. And I traveled with the team a number of times, and uh, the, the I, you know I got to know all the coaches and all the, and all the players on that team. And Craig Berube was an assistant coach with that team. And we're in December by this point, so I gotten to know them a little bit. And uh, there was a trip that went from uh, Philly was playing Hershey, uh, the Hershey Bears on New Year's Eve, and then they had to drive on a bus from uh, Hershey to Albany, New York, which is like a five hour bus ride. Um, after the game. And so it's where when we ring in the new year, 2005, we're on the highway somewhere on a you know dark bus and I'm sitting across from Barubi and uh, he reaches over to me right, right before midnight and uh, he hands me a beer. And I'm like, you sure? He's like, yeah, I take it. And I, so I have it and we start talking and he goes, Hey man, it's new year's Eve. We got 24 more of these under there. Uh, just rip them open and have as many as you want. And me and Chief for five hours sat there, had beers, and just talked about life. And from there, we became friends. And and you know, he was a he's just a great guy. Um, yeah, I, I know you guys love him as a coach, and I liked him as a coach here. I didn't think he got a fair shake as a Flyers coach. I think he was kind of rushed out of town, unfortunately. Um, but you got a great guy, a really good coach, really smart coach, and I think he's going to be there with you guys for uh, for a while and, and really help that team have an opportunity to win, you know, several times. Yeah, I, you know, talking about what uh, the, the how he's rushed out of town. That's something I was wanting to ask you guys about with him because you look at his record two years with Philly. Uh, he had a, a seventy five, fifty eight, and twenty eight record, which not bad, honestly, uh, for him to to be let go. I mean, that's still over five hundred. Um, obviously there was, uh, the one year you made the playoffs, uh, lost in the first round, but, um, why was he let go? Why was for just, you know, what shits and giggles, whatever you want to, uh, speculate on, go ahead. Because, uh, I think that's something that a lot of blues fans are wondering themselves. Yeah. I, I, and again, I'll answer this as the guy who was, who was there. Um, (sighs) chief got let go because the flyers were a very impatient team. One of the great things about it were. Well, you know, they did change because they 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 freaking accepted the Ron Hextall philosophy of let's just wait six years and we'll be good again. Um, and now we're now we're seven years without a playoff victory in Philadelphia. But uh, at the time when Ed, Ed Snyder was still alive, I mean, the Flyers were impatient year to year. OK, so they if they didn't win one year, then very next year, there was going to be some kind of shakeup. And, um, you know. That was a great thing because the Flyers were always competitive, but it was also sometimes that was Ed Snyder's um, flaw in the fact that he didn't let it happen. He didn't let coaches, um, you know, really get their teams to where they needed to get them to. Um, if guys would get fired, I mean, hell, he fired Terry. They fired Terry Murray after the team lost in the Stanley Cup final in 1997. He didn't get to come back in 1998 because they didn't win. Um, so. 
yeah, I think that the chief just got a raw deal with the flyers because of that. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen him come back for another season, but I think that they felt like they need to make this big change um, and go in a new direction. And it was not the right decision, obviously. And now here you, you see, you see what's happened. We're, we're still stuck in mediocrity and not even making playoffs in Philly. And, and the guy who was the coach here, actually the guy, the last two guys who were coach here <laughs> before Dave Haxtell, uh, have been in the finals each of the last two years representing the Western Conference. So, uh, so there's that too. Man, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. We had Laviolette <laughs> and now, and yep. now Chief. Yep. So, oh boy. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's get into, so the, uh, this season, there was obviously, uh, Jordan Biddington, uh, became a story. And as you had alluded to earlier, kind of starts there in Philadelphia. Um, now there was a, a goalie that was coming up with Philly around the same time that a lot of people were saying could be a Calder trophy candidate if he continued his play. And that was Carter Hart. Now Carter Hart still, I think is a uh, very high regarded across the league. Um, but once you started getting your injured goalies back, which, you know, let's Philadelphia goaltending this year. My God, I felt sorry for you guys. Uh, Brian Elliott, former blue comes back from injury. He kind of starts playing more, maybe not the best, but um, you're looking at that and, and comparing what Carter Hart can be and looking at the way Jordan Biddington came out of nowhere. Um, does that kind of give you guys hope for the, for the future of the Philadelphia goaltending? If you that question take makes runs? sense. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Carter Hart's a good young player. Um, he's got his head on straight. I can't say that for so many of, or for all of the uh, the young guys that occupy lockers uh, in, in the Flyers dressing room. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess in a sense it gives me hope. But the, I, I think the problem with Carter Hart or the, the problem that surrounds him is because he's been so highly touted and, and for so long he's been thought as the heir apparent. He's supposed to be the guy who, you know, everybody realizes that there was a mistake made in the acquisition of, uh, of Ilya Brzezgalov and the subsequent trade away of Sergei Bobrovsky. Everybody watches it, even people who are not the typical Philadelphia 4 for 4 fan, which is uh, all the sports radio people like to talk about around here. Um, most people will acknowledge the fact that the Bobrovsky trade was an absolute disaster and the Brzezgalov signing was terrible. And so it's almost like fans have been looking to glom on to somebody young in an effort to somehow go back and right the wrong that was done years ago. And every year, you know, Flyers fans are looking for who's going to be the next guy because we're just so used to terrible goaltending that when you finally have somebody who's there um, and and looks like they're going to potentially be a good player, maybe an all-star player, maybe not a franchise goalie, um, you know, people get excited. And, you know, it, it was tricky, though, because the way that Hart ended up on the roster, and, and Ron Hextall had even said it, it's there, there were no other options, right? Like, and I think that's part of why things got a, a little bit tricky around here. You know, like throwing Carter Hart into the fire um, wasn't quite like throwing him to the wolves, but he was playing behind a pretty awful uh, set of defensive pairs. And he's, uh, you know, he was able to elevate play and, and provide them at least somewhat stable goaltending. The problem is that like, I, you know, I think it, we've seen it year after year, the goaltender goes up for his first few games against uh, competition and he's new and teams are, you know, they don't have much of a scouting report. And especially on a 19 year old kid, there's not much to scout. Um, when he started to go up against the same team two, three times, you started to see the teams were beginning to solve him. 
And so, you know, in, in a sense, like we didn't get to ride that hot streak like the Blues got to getting to a Stanley Cup final and not having teams necessarily figure him out. There is a little bit of apprehension, at least on my part, that, you know, what if the best that we saw of Carter Hart early in his run is the best that we're ever going to see from him? You know, um, it, it happens in sports. I mean, it, even a guy that uh, you're familiar with uh, in St. Louis, I believe, uh, in Nick Foles, you know, he was a guy who we kind of, we thought was the miracle worker, right? 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. And everybody kind of wonders, you know, what if things had gone differently in the playoffs? Could teams have figured him out by the time the Eagles could have gotten to a Super Bowl? And then you saw what happened in the years that followed. It was it was a lot of mediocrity. It was a lot of, of teams figuring him out. And that real, you know, hot streak of being a, a young and up-and-coming quarterback that the teams don't have a ton of film on, you know, it kind of goes by the wayside. Um, and then you, you have a, a really nice set of breaks and you end up winning a championship and everything's forgotten. But Hart's an exciting player, but I, you know, I, I think anybody who's been a Flyers fan uh, for, you know, most of their lives are, are still going to be apprehensive. So there's a, a very long, long-winded way to get there. No, 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 no. I'm with you. I, I actually, it's funny because you, you talk about the, the poor Flyers uh, goaltending history and, um, you know, we, that's something that's a, a long-standing conversation on this show is the Blues's uh, lack of having a franchise goalie. Um, my, I have a guess on who the if the answer to this question will be. I'm going to ask you guys who the best all-time franchise goalie is in Philadelphia Flyers history. My guess is Ron Hextall. But um, I'll go ahead and go ahead and ask it. Who's the best franchise goalie of all time? It's got to be Bernie Perrant because he won the two Stanley Cups. Okay. Um Different era. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, Hextall was all of our era. I mean, I you know, I I don't remember Bernie. Um, the first time I remember watching the Flyers was during the seventy nine eighty season. They lost in the Cup final that year. Bernie was already gone. By then, it was Pete Peters who was in goal. Um, so, I mean, the best goalie of my of my lifetime is probably probably was Pelly Lindbergh who died tragically in a car accident. Um, and that's where Hextall came. Hextall was rushed up because of Pelly's Pelly's death. Um, but, uh, I think all time it's gotta, it's gotta be Bernie. Um, and yeah, do you disagree, Russ? I mean, I, I think it's gotta be Perrant. No, it, I guess it has to be Perrant, but like, think of, think of somebody who's, who's my age. Who have I gotten to see that's actually been an exciting goaltender? Or somebody <laughs> Roman Chick Bonnet. I mean, seriously, it's it's like Roman. Do I do I go with Robert Esch? Does that excite anybody? Does Ray Emery excite anyone? Um, do I have to go with Antero Ninamaki? Now, like this is this is what I've I've lived my life to. You know, it, I would say honestly, my favorite goalie that we've ever had in my lifetime is Ilya Brzezgalov. Sure, he was garbage. Sure, he uh, he was always he was, in two with his coaches. He was entertaining. Sure, as hell. he probably hazed and. Uh, and absolutely mentally scarred Sergei Bobrovsky for life. But he did remind us that the universe saw humongous big, you know, and that, and that's like, that's one of those things that you need to just live by, right? Like, don't worry, be happy. Like I, I live my life the way that I do because of Ilya Brzezgalov on that 24 seven documentary. That's my question, by the way, if you go back and watch that episode, when he came out and announced that he was not playing in the winter classic, I have good um, news and I have better news. Because of the service. Guys, guys, come here. Come here. I've got good news and better news. What do you want first? <laughs> and I go, I go, all right, Briz, what's the good news? <laughs> says, I am not. I, I am not playing I'm tomorrow. I'm not playing tomorrow. 
Oh, and then, then we're looking, we're looking at each other, and we go, oh, "What's the better news? We have a chance to win." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah I, I i need my own imdb page for that because i got two two lines on the hbo show um nice. yeah but <laughs> seriously um, it's it's bad flyers yeah, it goaltending has been has been dreadful I'm, Perron, i actually yeah Perron's I, the best one yeah but. i actually it's funny it's funny that russ says that the flyers goaltending has been dreadful there's a local um a radio show host here who wrote a book uh that's coming out in september and he asked me to write a chapter and the chapter that he asked me to write was the 10 worst goaltenders in Philadelphia Flyers history. So I did an entire chapter on the worst goalies. Uh, Briz makes an appearance, uh, but he's further down the list. But Who's the uh, worst? The, the worst is, and it's only, it's based, this is mostly statistical, but um, there was a guy named Stefan Beauregard uh, who played for the Flyers in the early um, early 80s. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, in in the eighties, and um, he, I forget, it was like nineteen appearances, and in in eight or nine of the nineteen appearances, he allowed five goals or more. Good for him. And his goals against average was like almost five. Save percentage was like eighty four. It was just terrible. He was just a bad guy. So I had to make him number one. I mean, statistically, he sucked. That is um, that is really funny because I actually know a guy who's the former uh, Sharks practice goalie back in the late nineties and. He's kind of a kind of fancies himself a a goalie expert, and so I asked him once, "Who's the worst goalie you've ever seen?" And he says, "Stefan Beauregard, no doubt." <laughs> Boom. Boom. That's there you go. That's there it. you go. Yeah. He, so Beauregard had a career with like the Winnipeg Jets and a couple other teams as well. So he just had a cup of coffee with the Flyers, but boy, was he bad in his time in his time with the Flyers. So it's but pretty t- hard to be a bad goalie in the eighties. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that, Jeff. But I'll give I'll give you one though that I thought. Were it not for statistical purposes, if I had to say worst goalie that I've seen, how about Michael Layton? Yeah, Michael Layton gave up the goal in the uh, two thousand. And look, at Russ is getting all upset. Gives up the, gives up <laughs> I the stayed game up until goal. three in the morning in Berlin, Germany, studying abroad, watching on some <laughs> kind of jerry-rigged live stream, and I passed out face down during Game Six, and I lifted my head up, and the page auto refreshed, and it was the that one shot of Leighton letting the puck through mm. and the devastation. I just woke up. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go drink my sorrows away. And it was yeah. Germany. So it's totally fine at 6 a.m. So my, my Michael Leighton story actually comes the next season. So Leighton you know, gets into the cup final. They lose to the Blackhawks. The next year, I think he, uh, he got hurt in training camp or something. And then he couldn't play for, for a while. And so that was the whole um, Sergei Bobrovsky when Bobrovsky first got to play. And I think, Brian Boucher was his backup, um, and uh, things started to get real hairy in the playoffs. They were playing against the Buffalo Sabres, and um, uh, they lost game five in Buffalo. They actually are, they had lost game four, and then they went to Buffalo for game five. The goalies were terrible, and Leighton, they decide, we're going to play Michael Leighton. Hasn't played all season long. We're going to play Michael Leighton uh, in game five in Buffalo, and, and Leighton was just awful. Uh, just had a, had a terrible game um, and doesn't take the plane ride home with the Flyers. He got so upset, he, he decided to just leave the arena and didn't get on the plane. And so the Flyers couldn't find him. They had no idea where he was. And so somebody, one of the other players, texted me and told me, Leighton went AWOL. So I wrote about it. I reported it, right? Um, so it's out in the, in the Philadelphia media that the next day. Uh, I wake up in the morning. I'm getting my kids off for school. It's like 7 a.m. 
I'm getting in the car, driving the kids. Phone rings at 7 a.m. And it's a New Jersey number. And I'm like, I wonder who that is. And I turn it on. I put it on the speaker because I'm in the car. It's Paul Holmgren, who was the GM of the Flyers at the time. And I say, hello? He goes, Anthony, Paul Holmgren. I said, yeah. You motherfucker. <laughs> like, like hello? And, and then he proceeded to call me every name in the book for the next 30 seconds and said, and then finishes it up with, uh, no player or, or a member of this organization is ever going to talk to you again. I hope you're happy. And he hangs up the phone. I didn't even get a chance to get a word in edgewise. The phone hangs up and I'm sitting in the car like, oh my God, what just happened? And finally, my son in the back goes, Daddy, who was that who was really mad at you? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess and they here, did the fly. The Flyers didn't these, want that story out. All these years story. later, we sat down and interviewed Paul Holmgren a few yeah. months ago. And the one who pissed him off was not Anthony. It was me. It was Russ. Because I compared him to a White Walker. And for some <laughs> reason, that upset him. And I still, I still don't know why. So it was funny. So Jeff, we get a we do this. We had a whole sit down with Paul Holmgren. Great, it was a great interview. He was he was very good. And uh, after the interview airs and the podcast goes out, um, I get a Paul sends a message through the PR uh, rep for the team, and sends me the sends the he sends me a text that says Paul wanted to thank you for all the kind words that you said about him on the podcast. Uh, he really appreciates it. He didn't appreciate what Russ had to say though. <laughs> <laughs> he also got mad, I guess. I, I I think he was mad because I said uh, in the aftermath of the interview, I was like, well, you know, half the fan base will be happy when he retires. And I think that upset him, too. But I think what would have upset him is if I had told the truth that it it's probably 80 percent of the fan base will be happy uh, when he retires. But for some reason, I said 50 percent. And it's I, so wrong. He's I'm such a harvest. good man. He's a good he's a, guy. He seems like a very lovely man. But the Flyers fans don't. I don't know what to tell you. They whatever yeah okay. I, I can tell from experience i know that he is not well liked in philadelphia Thank yes you. he's not he's not and that, i think it's i think he gets a like chief did i think he gets a bad rap because i'll tell you the flyers fans didn't like craig baruby as a coach either That's but, true. Then, but in my mind it's because they don't know what the hell they're talking about so not philadelphia well, they're the most the most educated and well-informed fans mm-hmm. in the entire country <laughs> hey man, we got we got Cardinals fans here. Listen, I'm a big Cardinals fan, but uh, best fans in baseball is a lot of crap. As Scott Rowland <laughs> said, baseball heaven, baseball yeah. heaven, St. Louis. It's is. it it's nice. I mean, listen, we got some passion here, and it's great. I love it. And anyone listening to the show, uh, you know, I apologize if if I'm offending you right now, but there are so many know-it-all Cardinals fans that are so hard to sit next to at games and. <laughs> Their own, not only are they rattling off statistics that they don't even understand, they got their head buried in their phones. So they're not even watching the play. And it's just, don't call yourself a super fan if you're not even going to watch the damn game. All you're going to do is stare at your phone and ramble off stats that you don't get. It, you know what? I'm going to be honest. Screw Cardinals fans. I'm going to tell you why. Because <laughs> when I was getting ready for my fantasy baseball draft and I was looking in one of the later rounds, I started perusing Twitter. And I thought, you know what? You know what? What's a team that typically has some good arms coming up. Oh, of course it's St. Louis. And I see all these St. Louis fans saying Alex Reyes is the second coming. He's going to be a great guy to pick up. So I picked up Alex Reyes. You know what Alex Reyes did? You guys know better than I did. He Mm. sucked. So, I mean, I'm done. That's all. And I, Uh, 
It's so fine. I think I think it's I'm going to be sending a message to Anthony when this is over that I appreciate everything you had to say, but not so much Russ. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I, by the way, by the way, Cardinals fans, I still believe in Alex Reyes as oh, a guy who hosts God. a baseball here, podcast as well. Yeah, um, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in him. I know I know he's had injuries and hasn't come to fruition just yet. He's still pretty young. I still think uh, he's going to be something eventually. But why anyway, are we apologizing to Cardinals fans? They ruined my life. I know I'm apologizing. Chris to Carpenter you. ruined my life. I'm apologizing to Cardinals oh. fans because of he you. He went toe to toe with Doc. He ruined the Philadelphia Phillies. The Russ, Cardinals I got to tell you, ruined that, the Philadelphia Phillies. I apologize is, to no one. That is one of my favorite games of all time. It was incredible. Oh, it was such absolutely a good game. Incredible. It was so well pitched by both guys. It was unbe- it was an unbelievable game. Yep. Oh man, yeah, we could man, we could we could have a whole conversation here about the Cardinals and Phillies, but uh and Ryan Howard, St. Louis boy. Yeah. Uh but uh, yeah, let's uh let's let's not do that because I'm sure cuz I we've talked baseball on our show before and we have a lot of fans say, "I don't tune into you guys for baseball. I tune you guys for hockey. I can get baseball oh, no, anywhere good. else." I want I I really do want to gauge really quickly how St. Louis works. Because if you talk about another sport on a sports specific podcast in Philadelphia, you're the antichrist. I often make cross sport references and I'll get a few people who get really angry if I like bring up the uh the Sixers or if I bring up the Phillies or the Eagles or God forbid the Union. Um so for a hockey podcast, if you what happens at the never mind. I, I was going to say the Rams, but you don't have much oh. of a reason to talk mm. about were people mm. actually upset it was that a real thing because sometimes when sports teams leave the national perspective is that everybody was heartbroken and, and torn up were were st louis fans really that upset or was it blown out of proportion there was a lot of upset rams fans yes but it was more that people were upset with the way stan Kroenke went about his business and uh some of the shit that he said after he left St. Louis, um, you know, basically saying that they're just a baseball town. They don't care about football. Um, you know, that's crap. You look at how the Blues are constantly selling out every game, how much the city's got behind them. It's crap, uh, what he said. And and that's the biggest reason I think people get fired up because uh, Kroenke and then guys like Jerry Jones and and um, other members of the, uh, the NFL board, uh, the way they conducted business to get the Rams out of St. Louis, it was definitely something that uh, was planned even though they said that um, they were doing everything they could to keep the team in St. Louis. That would be why. Yeah, it is. But uh, yeah, no, we, you know, we don't get in trouble for, for talking about the Cardinals. It's just, we get a, um, we do have a, 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 and it's, it's usually just people I know just kind of giving me trouble because the, the big thing here in St. Louis is, you know, even though the blues are in the Stanley cup final, there's going to be a show talking about um you know oh yeah the cardinals last night and they're gonna break it down for two hours but then they'll have a 15 minute segment on the blues you know so is that how the sports talk radio out there works oh basically yeah it's all okay. cardinals all the time okay yep so that's why and i think that's part of the reason the rams got upset too was because there was a lot of baseball talk you know that's why because the media perceives it as this town only cares about baseball but it's really not true again you look at attendance numbers and uh, that and 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 TV viewership numbers, and that tells a completely different story just, than what you would hear on sports radio. I can't imagine just building your sports talk radio around a dying sport, but that's just me. Mm, that's it's not a dying sport. Oh, I just said that to rib Anthony. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Go ahead and continue, Jeff. Uh, I'm sorry. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let I want to. There's two big questions I want to get to uh, before we close this up. 
One of them is, um, and we kind of talked about this right before we started, uh, June 23rd, 2017 was a big day in Blues history, especially if the Blues end up uh, going on and winning the whole thing this year. That was the day the Blues acquired uh, Braden Shen for two first-rounders and everyone's favorite, Yori Laterra. So mm-hmm. we've had uh, uh, Jillian Fisher on this show. We've had Steph Driver from Broad Street Hockey on this show, and they've uh, kind of voiced their displeasure for that trade. Uh, what's your guys' take on that trade uh, looking back two years later? I will, I will, I'm going to go first, Russ, because I'm going to talk about the trade, but then I will let you handle Yuri Laterra. I'm going to go grab you, my charger while you uh, talk about the trade. Yeah, because I know Yuri Laterra is your, like, your favorite person. All right, so the trade, I, I think it actually ends up being a good trade for both sides, Jeff, because Brain Chen obviously uh, ends up being a, you know, a producer for, for the Blues, and here he is two wins away, as we as you said earlier, we're recording to, you know, right after Game 4 of the Stanley Cup from, from winning a, a Stanley Cup with the Blues. Um, but the Flyers get two really good first-round picks in that trade. Um, and they use them to draft Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee, who are easily the top two forward prospects in the organization. Um, there's a lot of people here who are suggesting that uh, Frost uh, could make the team next year. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's still got to go a year in the AHL. I think he just needs a, you know an NHL-type body. He's He was playing in the... Uh, OHL and uh, you know it's different when you're playing against 16 17 year olds than versus playing against grown men so I think Morgan Frost needs to bulk up before he gets into the NHL but I think he's going to be a a top end scorer and I also think Joel Farabee is going to be uh, a guy that the Flyers fans grow to love over the course of time as well so I think those two players are going to be really good when we look back at it you know eight years from now and sit there and say wow that was a heck, heck of a trade for the Flyers but in the short term, it works out completely for, for St. Louis. So I think it's a good trade for both teams. And uh, it just drives me crazy when the fans here in Philadelphia go, we gave up Braden Shen and got nothing in return. Well, that's not true. You got, you got a lot in return. You just have to wait for it. Um, so, so I look at it as a very good trade on both sides, but I know Russ wants to talk about Yuri Laterra. Well, I, you know, I think it upsets me more than anything when people attack our uh, our Scandinavian Pablo Escobar or our Scandinavian Tony Montana. Um, the Finnish fiend, as I so lovingly referred to him just now, uh, for those who forget or never knew, the Flyers actually voted him. His his teammates once voted him the life of the party. I wonder why. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Yori Latero was a guy, you know, Braden Shen was fine. Braden Shen was a nice, he was a nice player. He was the guy that I, I had higher expectations for as part of the Mike Richards deal that, uh, led to LA winning multiple Stanley cups. Um, and, and to me, he never ended up living up to the hype. He was a, he was a solid power play scorer. There was, there was nothing that he did that was overtly horrible or wrong. Um, but I, you have to look at the value that we got back and it's not the draft picks. It's Yori Latero in 89 games played for the Philadelphia Flyers. He put up a whopping four goals, seven assists for a total of 11 points. Oh, he was a minus 15. He uh, also netted 47 penalty minutes. Now, some people might say that seems low. Sounds like he didn't do a lot. I want to point out the fact that the Philadelphia Flyers in all of their majestic glory this year, while Yori Latera was being investigated for his connections to a Finnish cocaine ring. My dude was an active roster player 
for the Philadelphia Flyers. My guy even came in and played a game while under investigation. This is like that Stephen A. Smith quote. I don't know if you're familiar with it, where he talks about Phil Jackson and Phil Jackson's Mm -hmm. bad choices about Lamar Odom. Mm -hmm. He signed Lamar Odom while he was on crack. (laughs) That's the Flyers. The Flyers played Yori Laterra while he was allegedly purchasing and or distributing cocaine. And you wonder why the Flyers didn't make the playoffs this this year. You wonder why things fell fell uh, fell sideways, went sideways on them. This is yeah, the kind well, of crap that we were dealing with in Philadelphia. Yori Laterra, he was a uh, he was a guy. He was a guy, and we heard he was a good he was a good locker room guy. I don't know how, I don't know why he brought nothing to the team. There were guys in the AHL that we clamored for all season. I mean, seriously, if if you had a pulse and you could put two skates on and go out on the ice, you were faster and already more skilled than Yori Laterra. And yet this team continued to uh, to roll him out and keep him around the team and keep him around a young locker room. It was one of the more perplexing things to happen in this very up-and-down flyer season. I will tell you that the day that that trade happened, the minute when when they announced, and I've told the story on the show before, so I apologize to our listeners for, for hearing the story for the 15th time for me. Um, they announced, So Gary Bettman says, you know, we have a trade to announce. The St. Louis Blues have traded Yori Laterra. And when he said that, I jumped up, I yelled as loud as I could. I didn't even hear the rest of the trade. I had no idea what the Blues got, where they had traded him. And then I was like, well, shit, I need to hear what they got because they were already talking about who the next pick was going to be. And so then I uh, I pull it up on Twitter and all Blues fans are saying the same thing. Oh, my God, somebody took Laterra. Somebody took Laterra. And I'm like, okay, what the hell was the trade? Did anybody else hear the trade? So I finally saw who it was for, and I was shocked that they actually got a roster player for him. Um, but my favorite Yori Laterra story, and I'm just going to share this with you because this is uh, this is one I know you can relate to. In the Winter Classic, if you go back and watch, I think it was Tarasenko's second goal, the reason they score that goal is because Yori Laterra is the slowest player on the ice. <laughs> and, and I tell you why. Because what happened was the Blues had pressure in the offensive zone. The puck goes the other way, and everybody's hustling back to try and back check and, uh, and stop the, the Blackhawks from, from uh, getting a good odd man rush. So the puck ends up uh, getting poked at center, and it just flies up to where nobody should have been. But Yori Laterra was just coming out of the offensive zone. <laughs> and so he ends up going up basically all by himself to where everybody catches up to him. And then he slides a pass to Tarasenko, and he ends up scoring. And I believe that ended up being the game-winning goal. And at the time, I remember even saying in real time, I said, Yori Laterra's lack of speed is the reason that goal is scored. And it was fantastic. Best thing he ever did for the Blues. You know, Jeff, we do a show, Russ and I, um, every home game in the press box, uh, pregame and during intermissions, we do something called the Press Row Show, and where we where we live stream – uh, and talk about, you know, the game, what's going on and, you know, or give a preview or talk about during the game. And, uh, you know, over, we started it this year. And as the year went along, you know, we got more and more people who would tune in. It was a really cool thing that we did. The, so we went back and looked at the, uh, the metrics, the show that was the most well, uh, most watched show was when Russ went off on the Flyers playing Yuri Laterra. The the day the game when he was under investigation, that's what the fans cared about the most. They cared the <laughs> most about Yuri Laterra 
be playing while he was under investigation for a cocaine ring in Finland more than any other thing that we talked about that year. And so it made me think that we really have to, you know, find stories like that this year, Russ, more uh, than rather than, uh, you know, just talk about what's going on in a hockey game. I'm so happy oh. for St. Louis that they got to actually enjoy good hockey. They got to like pull themselves out of the doldrums of, of, of the basement. And meanwhile, we had to talk about the incompetence of Dave Hackstall. We had to talk about the dietary restrictions that Ron Hextall had been putting the players through and, uh, and Yuri Letera's cocaine ring. Like this is, this is Philadelphia, my friends. Welcome. If you're looking for, if you're looking for a team to support in this conference, by all means, glom on. There's plenty of room on the bandwagon. Hey, I'll root for the Flyers over the Penguins any day. Amen. Of course. There you go. Um, so one more thing I want to ask you guys about, and that's because this show, again, another big topic for us is the fact that this man uh, is basically a staple in Blues history, somebody that uh, uh, has a is up there in games played for the organization, points everywhere you look, plus minus, uh, and his number is not retired. We even have T-shirts made from Let's Go Blues Radio that say retire number 44, and that is uh, the man, one of my favorite, actually my favorite player of all time, uh, and a man that I enjoyed sitting next to the press box in for, for, for a couple of years, uh, was the man Chris Pronger. Uh, you saw him right at the end of his career. Um, you know, the 2010 run comes to mind as some of the best hockey I've seen him play. Uh, just go ahead and talk about, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about Chris Pronger, because I know my audience is going to love to hear it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to save, I'm going to give you a good Chris Pronger story in a minute, but I was just to kind of give you what he meant to the Flyers. He was the reason that that team went to the Stanley Cup final in 2010. I mean, there's no, it wasn't Michael Layton. Well, that's well, it was not Michael Layton, but um, I mean, look, Danny Briere, if the Flyers would have won the Stanley Cup, Danny Briere would have won the Conn Smythe that year because he was so good scoring. He he had 30 points in the playoffs um, and, you know, led all scorers. I mean, he was he was on fire, but the emotional leader of that team and the guy who got that team a into the playoffs and then B got them to the Stanley Cup final and almost pulled off an upset against a uh, far superior Chicago team was Chris Pronger. He was that important uh, to that Flyers run. And uh, e- even the next year, I, th- I thought that he was uh, an important player. He had a little bit of an injury and was still playing in the playoffs against Buffalo and New Jersey. It wasn't until the following year when he got hit in the eye, and you know that's when he had to kind of uh, wrap up his career a little bit uh, sooner than probably he would have wanted. Um, it, you're right, Jeff. Just an awesome, awesome guy. The story that I want to tell, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to tell this, but I'm going to tell it. So there was a, there was a thing with Mike Richards, okay, and, and Pronger. Um, so Pronger and Richards uh, didn't always see eye to eye, but they kind of – they kind of, you know, mended fences, and you know, when they won the Olympic gold um, with uh, Team Canada um, in Vancouver, what year was that? Was that two thousand ten? I believe was that ten? Yeah, I think it was ten. Yeah. Okay, so um, so they so they kind of mended fences, but at the same time, Pronger didn't think Richards was a good enough captain, and never did. He always used to let people know that he wouldn't if he if it was up to him, he would be captaining the team differently. Which was great, and we all loved it. When we, we, you know, we went, we went to him for everything. Um, so anyway, we're in Washington uh, for a game in January, and and Richards had done an interview with the Hockey News in September, but it didn't run until this January. Um, 
And uh, in the in the story, he said uh, he didn't like dealing with the Philadelphia media um, because you know they they made up stories uh, if if they didn't think you were playing well. So we see it like we see it in this day. It's a Sunday afternoon game in Washington. Richards makes a a turnover um, and uh, the it leads to the game winning goal for the Capitals. So he's in a pretty surly mood after the game to begin with. And so we all go down there. We're ready to talk about the game. And one of the writers asks him about this interview in the hockey news, which Mike Richards didn't even know it had come out, didn't know anything about it. Well, long story short, a big brouhaha ensues between the media and Mike Richards, just yelling at each other. And uh, not including, I, I was not part of it. Uh, I was part of it, but not yelling at him. Um, and uh, one writer in particular, really, uh, Sam Cartiti, Philadelphia Inquirer, got really uh, in his face and had to be separated by LaViolette. Then uh, after they were separated, they came back together again. And it was just this nasty thing between a writer and, and Mike Richards. And after every, all the all the uh, the um, the dust settles and we think it's all over, you know, all the media is forced into one room and, and Mike Richards is forced into another, and we're just kind of standing around. And Pronger sticks his head out. He had just been in the shower looks around and then looks right at us and goes, keep stirring the pot boys. Keep stirring the pot. <laughs> Love it. He felt like the, he said the kid needed it. Right. But he just kept, and he's, and he's doing this thing. He's like, just keep stirring the pot boys. Stir <laughs> the pot. It was awesome. He was so good. Uh, I, I was so upset that, that his career was cut short the way it was cut short because I loved having him in Philadelphia. And, uh, I, and the, he, the one other opportunity I got to really um, work with Chris is uh, I, I left the newspaper and actually went to work for the Philadelphia Flyers with um, running their website for two years. And uh, Pronger was an advisor for the draft. It was the year they drafted Sam Moran. And we did a behind-the-scenes uh, video. Um, I, I, I wrote and edited something called Flight Plan, kind of 24-7-ish kind of ripoff. And um, – and uh, Pronger was brought in to kind of scout Sam Moran. So I got to spend a lot of time with Pronger um, talking about this kid who's going to be this, you know, their draft pick, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Moran still hasn't really panned out. He's still on the team. He's probably going to get a shot, final shot next year. Um, but it was really kind of cool to, you know, really hang out with Pronger and, and pick his brain uh, on what go- what makes a good young defenseman. And uh yeah, just the just the best, the absolute best. Uh, I wish he would get back into the game <laughs> in in a management capacity because it's it's really what he'd be good at. He uh, funny story about him that I'll tell that um, I need to redact the names that he was talking about. But as I said, we uh, we were sitting in the press box. He sat right next to me, which was just a, an absolute dream for me because, like I said, I I grew up idolizing that guy, and um, so we we were talking. He was talking. It was me. Uh, Chris was in between me and Andy Strickland, who's um, a, yeah, a pretty big time Andy. reporter out here. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, so we were all sitting there and, and uh, Pronger at one point, just, you know, and at this point he was working for the department of player safety. So he was kind of, <laughs> you know, in a, in a non-biased role, but uh, you know, Pronger, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And uh, he, at one point he throws his arms in the air and uh, Andy looks at him and says, you know, Chris, what, what's up? And, um, Let's call him player A because I don't want to say what name it is. Um, may or may not be a current St. Louis blue. Um, he goes, player A, what the fuck happened to that guy? That guy used to be so fucking good. And I just kind of turn and I just kind of look at him and I'm like, not a fan, huh? And he goes, 
man, he was so good back in the day. He fucking sucks now. And you know what? You can write that down and say that I said it. And go ahead and just put it in the next story you write. And I'm like, okay. And I wasn't <laughs> going to do it. I was like, whatever. Later he came up to me. He goes, you know what? I'm in a position to where uh, I I'm really can't be talking like that. So please don't put that in the story. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I wasn't going to, but thank you for clarifying. Yeah, That's no, okay. He... Yori Laterra got his eventually. Oh man, guys, this was uh, this was, I, this has been great. I appreciate it. Uh, you want to Russ? You want to weigh in? It, it looks this like. is just like a, a real quick thing. Pronger, if you think about it, a guy who came to Philadelphia in his 16th NHL season, he transcended what Flyers hockey was. He transcended, you know, he really elevated the Flyers into a very tough uh, Philadelphia sports radio market. He made the team relevant, and. You know, for somebody like me who remembered, you know, I think it was five years prior, the Flyers had gone out and signed a, another large lumbering defenseman in Darian Hatcher, who never lived up to the hype, um, to go out and, and watch the way that Chris Pronger came in. And I think it was his, his first year with the Flyers. He finished fifth in Norris voting. And he was, I think, 35 at the time. You, you don't see something like that happen. And to see him come in and play at the level that he played at, he kept, you know, there there are moments that came out from around that cup run, especially around him and Claude Giroux. Um, I, I just think about if we had just gotten to have a, a couple more healthy years of Chris Pronger at the end, would the Flyers have gotten back to a Stanley Cup? Would the team's fortune have been different? And I, and I would say, yeah, it, it probably would have. Watching his career get cut short the way that it did, granted it was, what, 18 seasons uh, playing professional hockey. It, it still is one of the saddest things, and it's one of the saddest what-ifs in all of Philadelphia sports history in my lifetime. And, you know, just seeing that he's staying active and involved in the game and knowing that he's still around and, and lending his uh, his expertise and his leadership and his knowledge to younger players is something that, I you know, we can kind of hang our hat on. But I, I just can't help but think about what-if with Chris Pronger. Oh, it's the same thing in St. Louis. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, he left uh, the year after the lockout um, and the Blues ended up being the worst team in the NHL and drafting first overall the next year after that. But there was still the contingent of people, and I'm one of them, that says even if, even if uh, they would have not done anything else and they just would have kept Chris Pronger rather than trade him to Edmonton, I think they're still a playoff team. And there's, if there's still a playoff team, once, you know, you guys know as well as anyone, you make the playoffs, you can go anywhere if you're in. I mean, you never know what could happen. But on top of that, the Blues get a new owner just a couple of years later. Uh, he starts making some pretty big changes. Who knows? Blues might finally have won their first Stanley Cup with Chris Pronger captaining the team and hopefully finishing his career as a St. Louis Blue uh, when that trade happened, uh, that was when the what ifs started for the Blues. I mean, that was the same year Al McKinnis retired because of his injuries, um, and uh, that was the year that 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 uh, that year Doug Waite and Keith Kachuk had been moved to the trade deadline um, to uh, make their Stanley Cup runs elsewhere. So it was just um, a lot of what ifs, and it all starts with Chris Pronger. So I think uh, I think Blues fans can relate to Flyers fans in that sense. Jeff, building off a, of a what if, I just want to flip the script on you for a second. Um, there, there's a guy who plays for your team that I've always been intrigued by, 
And he's somebody that I think was the the center of a rumor that had gone around Philly six years ago. I mean, it was it was a while back about a potential franchise shakeup, trading this player for now Flyers captain Claude Giroux. And this player was mentioned in trade rumors around January, if I remember correctly, uh, in a potential deal for Jake Voracek. I want to know what your thoughts are and what are St. Louis's thoughts going forward on Tarasenko? Uh, well, I will say that I was one of those people, I'll, I'll fully admit. I mean, you look at the calendar year of 2018 and Vladimir Tarasenko fell off a cliff. There was, I don't, I still don't know to this day if it was a, uh, an injury. Um, you know, he, he just recently had some kids. There's some other rumors that were going around in the organization that I don't want to further spread about what was going on with him. And, um, it's just, it, it did appear like, okay, he's, he's seen his best days. I and mean, we said that on this show, Vladimir Tarasenko, his best days are behind him. And, um, that was the reason there was a lot of people saying, let's see what this, this team can do if they can move him and, and still get a, a valuable piece, uh, in return. And there was a lot of talks of, of moving him to Edmonton, to uh, Philadelphia. I think Pittsburgh was in there. There was a lot of t- teams. I mean, obviously, any team in the league is going to want a Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, even if it's just kind of a, a project trying to figure out if he's still an elite sniper. But it was right when the team flipped the, the script. We talk about the uh, the Philadelphia game there on uh, uh, January 7th when Bennington made his first start. Um, really, the team turned around that night and you started seeing a different Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, it took a while for Jaden Schwartz to pick his game up and, and get back to the level that uh, we know he can play at. But um, the only player before January 7th that was worth a damn on this team was Ryan O'Reilly. And so uh, the consensus in St. Louis and anyone who tells you differently is, is, a, is just a flat out liar was Vladimir Tarasenko. Most of the city, I think would have been okay with a trade, but now that he's rounded out and become the player that, again, that we know he can be and that we've seen him be for years now, um, he's back to being in the good graces of Blues fans. I mean, uh, again, we're, you know, we haven't seen the end of the Stanley Cup final here, but he's been playing some fantastic hockey, some of the best of his career, uh, the last six, seven, eight games. And, um, yeah, he's, he's loved now. I mean, let's just say if, if this summer, there's a deal that just blows Doug Armstrong away and he decides to move Tarasenko. Uh, let's just say blues fans are coming up to his office with uh, pitchforks and, uh, you know, ushering him out of town, uh, put him on the train out. So um, I think that uh, he's loved again, but, um, and I think that this is the Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, you look at just one year, the calendar year of 2018 outside of that, he's been, an elite sniper in the NHL. I mean, he's, if he stays with St. Louis, his whole career, there's chances he's going to catch every record that Brett Hall or Bernie Federico holds. So, um, yeah, he's, he's beloved now, but I'll tell you what, if you would have been talking trade with me six months ago, I think myself and half of St. Louis would have said, yeah, take up, we'll take Claude Giroux. Let's do it. Uh, just please pass on to, uh, to your front office that around the draft, the flyers, uh, now I'm not speaking on their behalf, but I would be willing to part with Jake Voracek and a very highly tatted prospect. Um, he's actually been referred to here as the Finnish phenom. His name is uh, Lori Yatera. Now there's okay. a chance that it's going <laughs> to, it's going to take a while for him to uh, come back over. He's got some pending visa issues uh, okay. over there, but uh, you know, put it together. 
know, I'll, make I'll it pass that along. This guy Do sounds. Uh, this guy sounds uh, like he could be high flying. Oh yeah, I, I hear with, that. Uh, with high being the uh, the operative word there, Jeff. Of course, he toes he toes a real white line on the mm. ice. I like that. I like that in a player. As long as he's the life of the locker room, that's all that matters. That's <laughs> what being a teammate's all about. That's right. Well, guys, again, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I I was trying to come up with you know what exactly we were going to talk about, and obviously the Laterra trade came to mind and, and the big brawl back in '72. But uh, we obviously touched on a lot more than that. It's been a great time talking to both of you guys. We'll have to have you on during the season at some point, uh, maybe for like a Blues Flyers uh, game preview or something. If there's a weekend game, especially, but um, I want to give you guys plenty of time here to let my listeners know and anyone who might be a Flyers fan or just want to learn more about the Flyers in general, uh, where they can find you guys, how they can find your show. I know you have multiple ones. Feel free to plug them all. And uh, where they can read about your thoughts on Philadelphia sports and, of course, how they can interact with you on social media. Go ahead, Ross. This is your thing. You sure you don't want to do it? You're positive? Oh, you've, you've, got it, you've got it, like, memorized. You've got it, like, down to <laughs> down to a science. Well, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Jeff, for bringing us on. Of, of course, we are uh, from the Snow Lake Goalie Podcast, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, the Presidential Podcast, the Pedialyte Podcast, the Pampers Podcast. Um, we uh, we can be found at CrossingBroad.com, which is your source for all Philadelphia sports. If you're interested in learning more about the Flyers, um, if you're interested in learning about the Phillies, if you're a Cardinals fan and you're looking for a, a team that will break your heart, by all means, check out uh, check out our Phillies coverage. Anthony and uh, and one of our other writers, Bob, they host a uh, uh, Phillies podcast called Crossed Up. We've got everything covered. We have a Philadelphia podcast that covers every sport called Crossing Broadcast. We've got um, two soccer podcasts. I know that St. Louis is uh, working on getting an expansion team in MLS, but we've got uh, two soccer podcasts over here. It's always soccer in Philadelphia and Crossing Broad FC. Hey. Chill out, Anthony. Um, and of course, with uh, with the legalization of sports, there's a uh, a sports betting podcast called uh, called Broadlines. Anyway, those are all shows that uh, people could find. All of our shows are available on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. But of course, uh, we're we're here for the hockey, and it's Snow the goalie, and um, I'm pretty much every goalie that we've ever had on the show. Um, that was uh, Mike McKenna. Who else do we have on Anthony? That was a goalie. They all hate well, the Scott, name of the Scott, Scott Gordon was a former goalie. Scott Gordon, now former Flyers coach. Alex Lyon. Alex Lyon. They all hated the name. They uh, said they don't like to get snowed. But we encourage you to snow the goalie. And uh, uh, we're greatly Mike McKenna. That Mike McKenna, St. Louis connection. I like. We that. love Mike McKenna. He was Good dude. I think he might have been our best interview that we did uh, the entire season. And most people said, like, why do you want to go and interview this? Uh, this journeyman. And he was just absolutely fascinating. Like, um, you know, even if, if blues fans don't want to listen to us, uh, wax poetic about the Philadelphia flyers, that's an episode that's worth going back and, and listening to, especially the, uh, the heritage and his family of, uh, of racing and what it means and, and the human yeah, side of uh, professional yeah. racing. It, it, that was some of the, the best, I think, podcasting that, uh, that's been done recently. He was just, he was phenomenal. I think he's got his own show now. He was just, he was really a fascinating guy. Six Degrees of Mike McKenna, I believe, is what his podcast is called for anyone yep. interested. That sounds right. Yep. Uh, well, guys, again, this was, uh, this was fun. And um, hey, you know what? You, you know, we, I, we're, we're sitting here making jokes about soccer, but uh, we are a huge soccer market. So um, 
Why don't we go ahead? Go, let's let's I go love ahead the beautiful and do this. game. Why don't you uh, tell us if people wanted to tune into your soccer podcast, uh, what differentiates you guys differentiates you guys from uh, any other soccer podcasts out there? Well, the uh, the show it's always soccer in Philadelphia. That's uh, hosted by one of our writers, Kevin Kincaid, who is the uh, the Union beat writer. He was the the uh, the number one Union beat writer, which isn't saying much because the Union have been uh, god awful for their entire existence, except for this year. This has been a good season for them. Um, he brings on people from uh, from across the nation to uh, to talk Union soccer. It's uh, been good. Our other show, Crossing Broad FC, is a uh, it's a European soccer show. So we hit on every league, and we've started to kind of lean into the uh, the sports betting side to kind of give people a little bit of an insight. And we uh, we actually did a guide ahead of the Champions League final, and uh, all of our small props hit. So that was kind of nice. So that's uh, that's what we do over there. So if you're looking for something to uh, to give people a primer on the other leagues, uh, that's that's the show to go listen to. Yeah, cool. you can follow Russ on Twitter at Julian Broad, and uh, I'm at Ant San Philly on Twitter since I, you know, Russ forgot those two kind of important items, right, Russ? Yeah, that's right. People can send their hate mail to me, uh, for, <laughs> I guess, ragging on who, which, which, uh, St. Louis teams did I trash today? Uh, I guess uh, I pretty much all of them except the blues, I think. Yeah. I love the blues. The blues are, well, great. I mean, you, uh, you ragged on the Rams fans, but, um, you know, I mean, who, who cares? It was out right? of love. <laughs> it was out of love. Look, I grew up in a town that won an NFL championship in 1925 and had it stolen by the Chicago Cardinals. So may the Arizona Cardinals rot in hell. Speaking of, hey, but you know the Arizona Cardinals were once the St. Louis Cardinals, Russ. That's true. St. We Louis still has whole... Cardinals. It's I, well, I can't. <laughs> I can't. There's a championship curse. You can. It's the uh, curse of the Pottsville Maroons. Please, uh, please enjoy that Arizona, you horrible <laughs> desert wasteland. <laughs> yeah, Bill Bidwell is still a much hated figure here in St. Louis for uh moving the team away. So I feel I really bad. I genuinely feel bad for St. Louis. I didn't realize there were so many uh cases of teams being ripped away from your fans. I genuinely feel bad now. You I still Atlanta- hate Scott Rowland, but I feel really bad. You know the Atlanta Hawks Louis. were there too, right, Russ? This is just not oh, good. You're is- you're probably <laughs> Stop! Like you're twisting the knife, man. This is. This is yeah, I was too gonna much. say, blue, I think uh, every Blues fan right now listening is just going, "Oh my God, please stop that guy from talking." <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. I appreciate you coming on. Again, we'll have to have you on sometime during the season. I appreciate it. Anytime, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff.